As much as I may want to be over it, the current pandemic crisis is still not over. So if you're like me, at home, socially distanced, longing for a night out at your favorite restaurant, you've likely found yourself cooking more at home. I mean, personally, that's not going great, but it's a process, right? You can learn how to make almost any dish, and I do mean any dish, on YouTube. Like, for instance, Cheesy Blasters from 30 Rock, or a pizza ball from The Eric Andre Show, or the Teddy Brulee from Bob's Burgers. All of which, of course, can be found on Binging with Babish. My name is Andrew Ray, and I'm the creator of Binging with Babish and Basics with Babish on YouTube. Andrew, well, he's really having a moment. Because not only is he dealing with a pandemic, filming and editing his own shows, and managing one of the biggest channels on YouTube, he's also just moved into a new house. I have something. Sorry, there's construction being done upstairs. There's a couple knocks here and there. Andrew tells me how he embraces mistakes and even showcases them on the show. Andrew says he owes much of his own success to them. And we talk about how he's grown the channel through listening to his audience. I gotta say, at just shy of 8 million subscribers on YouTube, the secrets behind Binging with Babish seem to be working. Andrew also tells me about his own recent battle with COVID-19 and how losing strength and still, months later, trying to regain his sense of taste has only compounded his ongoing struggles with anxiety and depression. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Gross Show. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I think, um, you know, Babish has been just a complete phenomenon. Um, I'm going to start off really straightforward, really easy. Let's talk about your perfect world meal. Any ingredients, any prep you can cook, somebody else can cook. Basically, I want your version of Abid's buttered noodles from the show community. Okay, so my perfect world meal... I'm very much like Abed, so, you know, I don't want to cop out and say buttered noodles, but I love buttered noodles. Like I, I love buttered noodles. Legit. It's, <laughs> a, it's, a, it's perfect a perfectly food. fine answer. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's so like most people, most great chefs, and I'm not calling myself a great chef, but a lot of really great chefs will say that their favorite fruit, food is uh, bread and butter. Because not yeah. only is it a fabulous combination of fat and carbs and, and salt, it is one of the finest... Um, flavor profiles that you can think of, but also it's something that really has to be done right. You need really good bread. They're not talking about Wonder Bread and I can't believe it's not butter. They're talking about right. like some some French creamery stuff and some like really you know ancient grain um, <laughs> generation old sourdough starter kind of shit. Yeah. So in my mind, buttered noodles very much can have that same pedigree. It can it can have be of the same terroir. Um, as, yeah. as uh, uh, bread and butter. So I, that's my perfect world meal. Uh, my last yeah. meal, the opposite of a perfect world meal, the end of the world meal, uh, is probably going to be something like really uh, fatty and braised and, you know, caramelized. I, I love a short rib right. more than most things. Not worried about your health on that one. Yeah. So that's, well, I mean, I'm not worried about my health with uh, butter noodles either. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's true, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. That is a good distinction to draw, though, like the really good day meal and then the really just shit day meal. I like that. Just really briefly, where does the name come from for the show? Well, uh, the name in and of itself is 
proof of the channel's accidental success because it was chosen entirely arbitrarily. Uh, Babish is a reference to Oliver Babish, who was a character on eight total episodes of The West Wing. Yes. Uh, oh my God, and such a good one too, though. The, yeah, I know he's a great one, portrayed by the incomparable Oliver Platt. And uh, Oliver Babish is White House counsel uh, in some of the series' mo- most memorable episodes. I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But uh, I love naming, you know, usernames and stuff like that after um, obscure characters from my favorite shows. So I did that on Reddit. And then I intended to make the show just for Reddit, just like something to post on Reddit uh, to impress the Reddit food community. And then it sort of took on a life of its own. And it it has become my entire brand and uh, career and um, what most people think my actual name is. So it's it's taken on a very new life that I cannot imagine Aaron Sorkin would have thought would happen. Yeah, <laughs> wait, wait till he comes after you for rights. <laughs> does, it, does it feel like another person to you at this point entirely, like that, that persona, or has it somehow merged back into Andrew? No, uh, I don't think it ever feel, uh, felt like a, a different persona and... and uh, I'm very happy to say that when when either fans or, or or business partners or whoever when they meet me for the first time they're they're relieved to find out that I'm exactly the same person that I am on the show. I there there is no differentiation. Yeah. Well, there are people who are interested in the the person behind the show because if you search for Babish online, it brings up a whole host of autocompletes. You know, all the standards like married, engaged, divorced, but then people also search for whether you're actually a good chef. <laughs> Why do you think, like, what do you think about that question? I have seen that one a lot. Uh, I think that that is a very fair question to ask because um, first off, you know, if, if, if I, I, I care, if I'm looking for recipes, I care a great deal about the recipe's provenance. I want to know that it was made by somebody who knows what they're doing. Because if I'm about to dump six hours into you know, sure. like we said, a short rib. I'm not trying to f- get it off of Johnny's home cooking blog. I'm trying to get it from, you know, somebody who really knows what they're doing. World renowned, like, like trained. A, or like America's Test Kitchen is my favorite recipe resource because it's all science-based and it's all uh, technique-oriented. So I, I, I totally understand people being like, okay, he can he can make food, some pretty looking food on camera, but are these actually good recipes? And the, right. the, the cool thing about me is I'm going to tell you when it's not good. <laughs> um, <laughs> in fact, Publishers Weekly said that about my cookbook. They said, this is one of the few cookbooks that's going to give you a recipe and say, eh, maybe don't make this one. That's funny. Yeah. But I think that's that's interesting because a lot of people, I think, believe that they need to be the best or the most classically trained or one of the best on the topic to, quote, do the thing. You have to be a great chef in order to have a show about cooking. It doesn't sound like that's how your mind works. I think quite the opposite. First off, I love showing, I I relish showing my mistakes. Forgive the food punnery. One of the things that really made cooking feel accessible to me was seeing my heroes make mistakes. And that's why people Mm. love following their favorite chefs on Instagram because they'll see, you know, Alton Brown, they'll see Chrissy Teigen, they'll see that these people also burn their toast sometimes. Like it's, it's okay. (laughs) Um, to make mistakes in the kitchen and that's both it humanizes the person in front of the camera and it also makes it feel more accomplishable and makes it feel like less of a big deal when you screw up because yeah traditional cooking shows television cooking shows put an emphasis on perfection everything comes out perfect the first time everything's perfectly lit the, the host is perfectly beautiful and they're making 
perfect food for their perfect spouse and their perfect dog. Yeah. And, and YouTube is very much the opposite of that. YouTube is the, is the introduction of punk rock into the culinary world in that we want to show the process. We want to show getting down and dirty and, and trying things and failing. Good, bad, and, and ugly. Yeah, mm-hmm. good, bad, and ugly and, and, and learning, from, learning from the bad and celebrating the good. Where does that fearlessness come from? I can't say that it was something innate in me. It was definitely a learned thing. Uh, I for I'd say for the majority of my life, I've been terrified of making mistakes. It's only uh, in the past few years that I've embraced and started to view mistakes as the learning experiences that they are. Yeah, it's it's both by accident because I didn't really realize what I was doing. I thought I was just being funny when I showed spilling something or burning something on my show, but it turned out I was right. actually connecting with people in a new kind of way, and and that, I only learned that because people told me that. So. Right. The bravery to make mistakes and not be defeated by mistakes is something that I've had to learn over the past few years by making some tremendous mistakes. So why the TV show themes? Was it as accidental as it sounds? It truly was. I literally had bought a camera and a light uh, to do some freelance documentary work, and I set it up in my kitchen because I was like, hmm, maybe I want to get into food photography. I made a little test video where I made a smoothie out of some vegetables just for funsies, and then uh, mm-hmm. I was, you know, setting. Up, I was messing around with my light and the lenses, and just like thinking, you know, okay, what kind of cooking show would I make if I were to make one? And I always background watch things. I, I watch shows like most people listen to music I, repeatedly and in the background and just constantly. Uh, yeah, I've seen any given episode of Frasier at least seven times, and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> if anything, that's an underestimate. <laughs> And so I had Parks and Rec on in the background. I noticed this burger cook off and I was like, what would Chris's burger actually taste like? It's this sort of uh, checklist of foodie bullshit buzzwords. It's, you know, right. uh, truffle aioli and taleggio cheese crisp, which is not a possible thing, by the way. Uh, so I knew the writers <laughs> were having some fun, but I was like, OK, if I were to make a, a real world iteration of this burger, would it, would it taste like Beyonce smells, as Tom Haverford puts it? And uh, right. Uh, turns out, I, I think I said that it did in the video as a joke uh, to to sort of play up the fact that the burger beef burger was better. But in reality, it was not a very good flavor profile. It, just, it did not play nice <laughs> together. Or maybe just it's been four and a half years and my palate's gotten a little little better since then. Did Did you know instantly after that first show that like this was going to continue and you were going to grow this? Absolutely not. I always tell people that uh, the the second episode I made timpano from Big Night if that had exploded in the oven or when I cut it open, if it <laughs> leaked everywhere or if any one of the million things that could have gone wrong went wrong, I wouldn't be, t- I wouldn't be here right now. I would have said, fuck yeah. it, I, I'm going to try skateboarding instead or something. I need a new hobby. Right. And mostly yeah. I was running at it and wanted to pursue it because I was in the process of fixing myself. I was massively depressed and just starting to go mm-hmm. to therapy and just starting to be medicated for the medication that I needed my entire life. Uh, and yeah. I knew I needed a, a new creative outlet because I'd just come out of a very toxic uh, creative partnership uh, and I needed something that really woke me up and made me feel uh, able again because I was feeling like yeah. I'm never going to be anywhere in this industry. And um, I made the first episode of the show and it made me feel like a kid again. It made me feel like I was back in film school again. And so I wanted to chase that feeling. It sounds like it... It started as this project that was really sort of for 
personal creative uh, exercise. And then at some point, it did start to take off uh, and the viewership numbers really, really came. Can you talk to me about that moment? Yeah, the first moment that I realized that uh, I had something that might be more than a hobby was when I did the um, Moist Maker Thanksgiving sandwich from Friends, uh, the, un- yeah. the unfortunately named Moist Maker. And, um, yeah, yeah. And it was the first one to really sort of catch some wind in, in its sales. Uh, Reddit voted it up to the top five in Reddit videos. And if you get upvoted to the to, uh, to the front page of Reddit videos, you're going to ha- have an article or two written about you. You know, H- right. Huffington Post is going to write something. Food and Wine wrote something. BuzzFeed might write Predictably. something. Predictably, yep. Yeah, so because, so, you know, Reddit is kind of a tastemaker in, in some ways. It's, a, it's where a lot of outlets go to see what's, what's, what's popping on, on the interwebs, for, as the mm-hmm. kids would say. Sorry. Um, but uh, I committed from that point on to making an episode every week, and I have only missed two since, and both were because I had uh, I was very sick once with the flu, and more recently with COVID nineteen. So the subscriber numbers and the view counts are all starting to grow fairly rapidly week over week. Was there? Did you ever have a sense of imposter syndrome during that time? Did you feel like no, like I've hit on something big and I know exactly what to do next? Uh, I had and continue to have imposter syndrome. Uh, I think I always will. Uh, it, it, it's mm-hmm. it's part and parcel with anxiety disorder and depression. Uh, I yeah. constantly feel like, oh god, am, do I do I really know what I'm doing? Do I do I if I if I screw something up in the kitchen, I'll think to myself, do I deserve to be teaching millions of people how to make <laughs> this if I can't fucking do it myself? Uh, yeah. But then I remember, okay, people tune in because they want to see my take on this. They want to they want to see me screw up. They want to see they're drawn to you. Yeah. Yeah. So so I just try to remember that and uh, not get too bogged down. So you are making a lot of fictional kind of re- or fictionalized recipes, but also some sort of real recipes, hard recipes. How dark and deep is the research hole that you're going into before each episode? As deep and as dark as I can go, because I really? want I want to create the most satisfying possible answers for viewers as to you know what does your favorite food from fiction look, smell, taste, feel like. Uh, yeah, I held off for a very long time on doing Troy's casserole from Community, which oh my god, yeah, yeah, which which is you know hot pockets, Doritos, and uh, yep. and pizza rolls mashed together in a casserole and but troy describes it as bagel bites in in a deconstructed hot pocket reduction with a doritos glaze (laughs) and i was not going to make that episode until i could satisfactorily put that exact description to right that technique yeah (laughs) yeah so and I, i was like what the hell is a doritos glaze how do the hell do you make a hot pocket reduction so i just worked on trying to find, okay, what would be creative, satisfying answers to the viewer to these different yeah. sort of culinary questions. Are there recipes that you've been holding on to for like big milestone episodes? Yes. Uh, I know exactly what I'm going to do for my 10 million subscriber special. And it's fully, fully self-indulgent. Uh, <laughs> it's just... Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, so... Legend has it that Elvis Presley took a private jet from Memphis to Denver to order a whole bunch of these uh, fool's gold sandwiches for him and his friends, which are yeah. a, a whole loaf of French bread, 
a whole jar of peanut butter, a whole jar of jelly, and one pound of crispy bacon. And uh, it was his favorite sandwich. Big surprise. That actually does sound amazing. It sounds awesome. And uh, But the legend has it that he in w- one night he was hanging out with his friends and they were like, what's the fool's gold sandwich? And he was like, come on, let's go. And they jumped in the private jet and they went to Denver and the Colorado Mining Company, which was the now defunct restaurant that so- served that sandwich, brought brought it to them in the airport hangar and they sat on the wings of the plane drinking champagne and eating these sandwiches and then they flew back same night. So yeah. I want to, I'm. I, it is my duty, I think, to recreate get that pilgrimage. That. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. a private jet. Yes. I was going to say, post-COVID, the plane stuff might be a little bit tough, but you could you could swing it. I believe uh, in you. I, I'm, that, I, that, that is my plan, is to charter a private jet, get all my friends on there, and then since Colorado Mining uh, Company is now defunct, uh, I'm just going to make all the sandwiches myself. It was 25 sandwiches, I think. That sounds like a new restaurant chain you could spin up to as well. Um, well, actually, so let's, not jokingly, let's talk about expansion a little bit. So you've, you've written a book before, but you have a new one. And I'm curious with this latest book, what did it afford you to do that the YouTube channel just couldn't? Why expand into books? I really try to have great attention to detail and, and, uh, and storytelling. And I wanted to bring that to the page. I've always been told that I'm a decent writer and I wanted to try to flex that muscle a little bit. It also just made sense at that point in my career to write a cookbook. And I sort of, you know, took the temperature of my audience and it seemed like they wanted a companion cookbook to go with the show. So, uh, that's where the binging with notice when you're in that moment and jump. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why the the next cookbook is, uh, which I'm writing right now is the basics with Babish cookbook, which is going to be the first hundred recipes of basics. And it's going to be much more technique oriented because binging is a very personal book in right. the head notes. Sometimes I'm just talking about what I was going through when I was shooting this recipe. Yeah. Um, I was going through a terrible breakup during this one or, uh, basics is going to be step-by-step oriented and much more descriptive. So that was the the thinking behind expanding to the basic show on YouTube as well. Yes. The thinking there again was listening to my audience. They, were constantly saying like, Hey, could you show how to make a steak? And I was like, show, show me the, the movie you want the steak from. And they were like, I don't, I don't <laughs> care about the movie. Can you just show me how to make a steak? And eventually that chorus was loud enough that I was like, okay, maybe people just want straight up recipe videos with my, with right. my, my trademark pithy humor and production value that I try to bring to the show. And at first viewership was a little lagging. It was a little bit behind binging, but since then it's gotten the really same numbers as, as binging. How conscious are you of audience growth and development? Uh, as conscious as I can be. Uh, yeah. That's what I do try to do. I, I, I want to hack the algorithm. I want to do everything I can behind the scenes. But something that my manager wants to kill me for uh, is that I've never once ever said, please like and subscribe. Uh, that is something mm-hmm. that any given YouTuber will say. And... I decided not to say it early on, not because I'm snooty or proud, but because if you're going to f- like my video or f- subscribe to me, I want you to do it not because I'm asking you to, but because you want it to. Right. And as a result, I think it's built an audience that's more robust. Yeah. And that's why I think, and this is just all theories in my head that I dream up when I'm in the shower. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> I think that the reason I have a very high subscriber to non-subscriber viewership ratio, much higher than most. And I think it's because I have a more engaged subscriber base because they're not 
subscribing because I'm asking them to, because I'm prompting them to, but because they want to see what I'm going to make next. Does it go into your selection choices for the shows that you choose for, um, for binging? So in other words, would you look at something like, um, hey, uh, Teenage Bounty Hunters is really climbing on Netflix right now. Let's go see if we can build a show around that. I have not seen Teenage Bounty Hunters. Uh, <laughs> I should. Uh, I should watch it. But uh, no, I, 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 what I do get maybe 95% of my ideas from is from audience comments, people asking for what they want to see next. Requests. Yeah. The, the, this is a crowdsourced mm-hmm. show. I, I guarantee I would not have been able to dream up more than half of the episodes I've put out were it not for people shouting out what they want to see next week. So yeah. I'm eternally grateful to my viewership for that, for, for, for being part, so participatory in this process. It's really interesting too, right now, it's kind of a perfect time to grow your audience. Um, but at the same time, life right now is stressful. It's kind of scary to think about from day to day. And there are a lot of, a lot more questions and answers about where this is all heading. How do you personally kind of handle the, the responsibility of uh, creating this show that millions of people love? but also living through things like the age of COVID and your own health and your own pressures and stressors on your life. I can can say this week, it feels like I'm not doing a very good job. I had, to be perfectly frank, I had a uh, panic attack uh, uh, this past weekend. Um, I am prone to Mm. panic attacks and anxiety attacks. uh, So it's not out of the ordinary, Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, I can't tell you how much it sucks when I had COVID because panic attack, at least for me, feels like I can't breathe. Yeah. And if you have COVID, you're like, oh my God, can I actually not breathe? <laughs> like, am I, it, 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 like are, are, am I actually dying right now? Like, right. Because, yeah, yeah a, a proper panic attack is one where every inch of your body is screaming at you, you're dying. Yeah. And when you have a disease, when you have a, when you have COVID in you, not only is that so freaky to actually have the virus in you that it, every, the whole world is talking about and, and frightened of and, and, and freaked out by, to know that that's inside you and then to not feel, to, to feel like, oh my God, I'm dying and oh my God, I can't breathe. It's the most, t- I, I can't tell you how many times I almost called 911. It was it was a, it was a nightmare. When did you start to feel better? I got it out of the way nice and early. I got, I got sick back in March, and uh, it took about three weeks. And it was very very frightening for a while because, as you might as you may know, um, one of the common symptoms is losing your sense of taste and smell. And right. I, I, I did entirely. It, 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 it's, it, I did for eight days. Uh, I couldn't taste or smell anything. And as somebody who has made food his his uh, career, that was whole career pretty scary. Um, uh, so luckily, it came back. I still have some lingering effects. I have to really focus to taste some foods, like chocolate. Uh, I have to like sit there and be like, I'm eating chocolate right now. This is chocolate. Uh, oh, there it is. Okay, I, I taste it. <laughs> if I just mindlessly munch on chocolate, I might as well be chewing cardboard. That's um, incredible. Uh, so, so the, there's that, and I definitely have like a little bit of like brain fog and slug, sluggishness. Yeah. And as a result, be, to combat that, I uh, I've I've ramped up my exercise and diet uh, in in new ways over the past, I'd say, about two months. Um, 
because I can't afford to be uh, sluggish. I can't afford to to you know not be able to find the you know like right now where I can't find the words that I'm trying. <laughs> I can't be searching for words like I'm doing at this very moment. Um, <laughs> I uh, fair enough. So so. I, I it, so to to balance with with both the frightening things in the world and my tumultuous personal life, which is tumultuous. I'm in the one room right now in my house that is not under construction at the moment. Yeah, uh, that's unsettling I, too because it's just you can't. Yeah, you can't have a place of peace to think. Yeah, it, 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 this house is a not only a direct result of the show's success because you know the show paid for this house but also it is the new living breathing epicenter of the show and of the channel which is something that's growing in new and exciting ways yeah that those kind of signs of momentum though are important i think they kind of create whole new chapters for your for your business and your career i i this has been an interesting crisis this year because of how long it has stretched out and I think we've been in this for so long that at times it can be hard to figure out what of the change we're seeing is short term and what has really will change us for years to come. Like what is fundamentally going to be different coming out of this? How do you think this time is going to change us uh, for the for the foreseeable future? I hate to say anything like right now is a good time to be a YouTuber because that sounds, you know, like a, like I'm a war profiteer. That doesn't sound very, very yeah. good, but it, everybody is I stuck in their houses. Mean, yeah. Everybody's stuck in their houses and everybody wants to be entertained. They want to be informed. Yeah. And I want, I'm very happy to be part of the chorus of voices that, uh, that, that gets to help do that. I think that, um, learning is going to continue to become decentralized. Yeah. You know, the new hire of this company, her, her name is Kendall. She is the new test cook and kitchen producer here. She is graduating Culinary Institute of America, CIA, uh, virtually. Yeah. So people, not, not just people, you know, trying to pick up a new hobby, but people who are trying to make food a career are doing it online. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm certainly not the, not, not an authority on, uh, on, on what to, you know, what to expect or what to do because... I'm, I'm telling you, I, I was 10 seconds away from a decision that would have made COVID ruin my life. Uh, I was trying to open a brew pub in Brooklyn, ah. and I was like, not even weeks, like days away from signing a lease. About to sign papers, yeah. That would have locked me into, you know, I think the rent would have been like half a million dollars a year. It was, it was not yeah. like a finished restaurant. It was a warehouse space that would have had to be retrofitted. I wouldn't have been able to start construction until like this month. So I would have been so screwed <laughs> if that yeah. had gone through. So, so does that does that mean it's off? Or it's, do you think it, that you'll it, revisit it? I'd love to revisit it because I think it's going to be... Once, once the Babish brand or the BCU, as we're starting to call it, the Babish Culinary Universe, once it... Uh, <laughs> Once it starts to expand in a way that uh, it has an even larger draw with more people attached to it than just me, uh, having a yeah. destination where you can come and meet those people or watch them work or try their food uh, or taste their beer, I think that it is a wholly unique experience that, that could only be achieved now. Uh, so it's something yeah. that I very much hope to visit, uh, re revisit one day. You have already said that you do not like asking people to like and subscribe to the show, so I'm going to do it for you. Uh, if you're listening, you can head over to YouTube to find all the shows, basics, and binging. 
Thank you again, Andrew, for coming on the show. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Music came from Tyler Litwin and Synchronize. I'm going to take a page from Andrew's playbook and leave out the typical calls to action in our outros. And while I'm at it, I'm also going to do a deep cut character name for my new sign off. If you think you know the reference, let me know on Twitter at Meg Keeney. Okay, as always, I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and you've been listening to Podcasting with Paris. I'll give you a hint. It's not a hotel heiress. <laughs>